know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen. South Ghosts with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Spooky South Coast, welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. Matt Costa is here. Uh, Matt Moniz is not here. Uh, he's actually out in the field, kind of an emergency thing. We'll we'll get into that in just a minute. Um, happy Halloween to everybody. It's our, our first time being on. Halloween and, and here we have breaking news. Uh, I know, uh, we had advertised all week long that our plan was to come in here and we were going to share some spooky ghost stories and uh, I've got a folder like two inches thick with stories that, uh, we were going to tell on the air. But uh, around three o'clock, uh, we actually got a phone call from Matt. I got a phone call from Matt Moniz, uh, saying that he had received a report from his friend Lucky down in New Jersey that there had been a, a major UFO sighting down there. And Moniz said, uh, since, you know, he was just going to tell one or two stories that we were going to do tonight, he asked if it was all right if he just left and, and went down there and, and tried to check out this UFO sighting. And so he went down there at like three o'clock. He left three thirty. I don't know exactly when he left, but he drove right down to New Jersey. Um, and I think it takes him about four hours, uh, to get down there. So he's been down there for a little while. So he should know kind of what's going on. Uh, and we're going to connect with him in just a few minutes. We've been having trouble getting a hold of him. Um, and a few of our other uh, UFO-related friends we've been trying to get a hold of. And it, w- whatever it seems to be that's going on, uh, either it's got their attention so much that they're they're not able to get to their phones or their emails or, or what. But we're, we're having trouble actually uh, getting everybody on the same page. I spent, I don't know, when, when did I last talk to you, Matt? Like 5, 30, 6 o'clock? Yeah, about that. And I spent like the last amount of time trying to find something on the internet about this, and there's nothing. I know I've been searching online too. I've been going to the uh, New England MUFON uh, website and everything, and there's nothing, I, there. nothing there. There's Not nothing. Anyway. There's nothing on Google News. Uh, I checked CNN.com. I even went to like the Coast to Coast AM website and, and different chat rooms yeah. uh, to see if there's anything. And, and there, there's a few rumblings about it in different chat rooms and on message boards. Um, but I really haven't been able to find much. Uh, a little bit later, we'll we'll share some of the stuff. I did find something on on um, online uh, that we can share a little bit later on because I, I don't know who this guy is. I'm, I'm not really familiar with him, so we have to ask Matt Moniz about it before I disseminate the information that he's yeah. giving because I I don't know if it's a trusted source. For all I know, it could be just somebody. Uh, making something up. So we'll, we'll talk to Matt Moniz in a minute and we'll, we'll find out from him if he knows if this guy, uh, his name is, uh, Professor Pier, uh, Pearson, uh, from Princeton University. Um, so he's been posting some stuff up on, on his Twitter account. Uh, but again, it's unverified stuff. So we're going to wait and we're going to find out from Matt Moniz if he knows anything about this guy, uh, and if he's anybody. But basically, uh, like I said, around three o'clock, um, major UFO sighting is all that I was told. Um, like I said, I've been unable to really connect with Matt Moniz. I'm hoping that we'll be able to get him on the phone. Um, but for Moniz to kind of drop everything and run down there, it must be something pretty significant. Yeah, that's, that's true. Usually he's pretty lazy about stuff. Yeah, I mean, so. <laughs> usually he's like, eh, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll get all the reports. But uh, I think it's serious enough that he thought that it was worth 
uh, make on the drive. And I know for one thing, he's he's kind of short on cash lately. Oh yeah. <laughs> Because he's been driving to Watertown, driving to this place, driving to that place. So uh, he's been putting all of his money lately in the gas tank. So for him to fill up and drive down to New Jersey, it, it must be pretty serious. Um, all right, well, why don't we see if we can get him on the phone? You, you got Moniz's number? Yep. All right, just try and get him on the phone. And, and uh, basically, as this news is breaking, we're going to try and go commercial-free as much as we can um, because we want to find out you know, everything that's going on and, and – if you know anything, if you hear anything, or if you want to call in and discuss, the numbers are 508-996-0500-1877-996-1420. That's the toll-free line. You can also email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com, and we're, we're going to try and keep you up to date as much as we can. Uh, I know that we just heard the news uh, coming into the top of the show, the network news, and they didn't have any mention of it. Uh, so that's the 10 o'clock news. So now we're going on... Well, what roughly seven hours since uh, this sighting first happened, and, and there's still nothing being said on the news. I wonder uh, how many uh, people are just nervous to talk about it, with it being Halloween and all. They're not taking it seriously or something. But like I said, for for Moniz to get down in the car and, and drive right down, uh, it must be something serious. So, did, no, not yet. all right, we're, we're trying to get a hold of Matt Moniz right now. You were you able to get him? We're waiting to see here. He's he's on definitely on the phone. Okay. So uh, sorry, he he was uh just uh I don't know. He seemed excited, so he was right <laughs> just rifling off information, and I was like, "Well, you're, well, not, see, on, you're not on the air. Save it for the air, yeah." So all right, well, uh, if, if you're ready, let's bring him right up on the line. All right, Matt, is that you? Yeah, it's me. All right, and and you're in New Jersey. That's all I know. Whereabouts in New Jersey are you? I am out. Uh, Lucky lives in a place not not far from uh, out out here in New Jersey. He picked me up at Grover's Mills. Okay, and and where about was that? Like in the in the northern part of the state, right? That's where, New, where... close to it. Uh, he he lives in Nutleaf, which is not that far from there. So uh, you know, like I said he he had seen some of this stuff earlier about you know the lights and these things flying around, and one of these things is supposedly he's been set down by the river. I can't get close enough to see it, but there is a lot of police activity, roads shut down. I've seen fire department go up and down the road about several times. Uh, nobody knows what's going on. Uh, the, the official word is a plane. Okay, a, a, that, plane? Uh, a plane? So, that, like, kind of something akin to when the uh, when the plane touched down in the Hudson? Some, something like that. Something like that. But I mean, I mean, other people have been reporting all kinds of other crazy stuff, and they, the the person that originally started this uh, information going, you know, described something completely different from a plane. I can't see anything from where I'm at. Lucky's around one of the other corners. He's trying to get another look from a different angle. But there's definitely activity all over the place, and some of these uh, cops are quite serious. They got like shotguns out and everything. They're like, you, you know. They don't want people down in this area. I mean, this has got this has got my undivided attention. Put it that way. Well, uh, and so what's the scene there like? I mean, obviously, uh, you know, like you said, there's lots of uh, officials, but is there a lot of news media there? Are there a lot of reporters? Because we're not hearing anything about this on the news. We're not I seeing see anything. People, on the you know, camcorders and stuff like that. Um, the occasional news truck drives by, but I mean, you can't really get around there. Is, that, that's the hard part. A lot of people bumbling around, but nobody knows what the hell's going on. 
Is it possible, uh, I mean, I know this has happened in other instances, that there are, are times that with matters of what could be national security, um, that when the media does come around, they're kind of embargoed and they're not allowed to release any information until they're cleared. Is that maybe a possibility of what's going on? That usually happens with military incidents or where the military has an accident or whatever. They could, that also happens with um, certain other public safety issues, like it could be a potential, you know, uh, gas line that could explode. They don't want to cause panic and stuff like that. As you know, working in the media, there are various reasons why they can uh, do a news blackout, but whether they are or aren't, I don't know. I'm Like I said, I'm just trying to get down this uh, certain roadway to the river area, and uh, each time I go around, I keep getting thwarted. Well, there was some information that did come out, uh, again, not from a, a trusted news source, but from an individual who uh, claimed his, his name is uh, Pearson, uh, Professor Pearson of uh, Princeton University, Richard Pearson of Princeton University, and he claims to be um, uh, somebody who is a, a UFO scholar uh, and that he's been posting some information uh, on his Twitter account, and we've been... We, I, I wanted to be able to read the Twitter information to the people, uh, because it is the only real news that's coming out about this, but I didn't want to do so unless we can kind of verify that he is indeed somebody who is in the UFO field and he's a trusted source. If he's just some crackpot out there throwing information out there, I don't want to start mixing signals. So, I mean, are you familiar with, uh, Richard Pearson of Princeton? The, the name sounds somewhat familiar, but I, it's not anybody I've personally met. But he's somebody that's within the circles of the UFO community. It it, it sounds like one of the guys I think did a series of papers for uh, the journal, new the MUFON journal on stuff. Uh, I do remember Princeton being one of the colleges that was mentioned. So I can't say I know this guy for sure, but it's um, the name does somewhat ring a bell. Well, that's probably close enough that we could at least share the information with the caveat that. You know, it's it's not somebody that we know personally, and it's not somebody that we've spoken to. Um, I know Macasa is now trying to get to that Twitter account, and uh, it looks like it's been kind of shut down. Is that what's going on, or? Um, it looks like it it was up, but I, all um, all the posts that he uh, he put up are no longer there. Huh. So, so there's like just there's an account, but there's no posts. Yeah, because there was something like 300 posts like today. Uh, it it seems like I it's, it. I don't know, it seems like it's suspended. You, it's there, but you can't, uh, you can't, Graham. you can't be, you sign up to be a follower, you can't. Huh. So I don't know. Well, why don't you just keep looking and see if you can find, uh, maybe somebody on one of the message boards or something has recorded, uh, what he was posting. And then, uh, just see if you can print me out a copy and, and I'll read them on the air because I can't see the computer from where I'm at. Um, so Matt, why don't we, uh, do, do you want to hang on the line while we try to connect with Lucky? I know you said he's somewhat nearby, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's probably what I know he's on the other, other side because there's a bridge that you gotta go down and go across to get, you know, and they were, uh, whether they got that bridge closed down, I don't know. Yeah, give him a try. Alright. I'm gonna stay right here at the gas station where I'm at because it's warm. Alright, well, if you, <laughs> if you wanna hang on the line, we'll, we'll try and put you both on at the same time? If, if you want, yeah. Okay, we'll try and do that. So, um, go ahead, Matt. You can call Lucky. Here's his, here's his, uh, number here. I got it in my, my phone. So, uh, Matt, now, normally when you've been around these sites, I mean, uh, obviously if, uh, there's still something going on and there's nothing happening, at least in the sky that you can see, the rumor is that something has landed. Is that what you would have to guess? Uh, 
that that was one of the rumors that I heard. Like I said, I'm hearing several different things. One person saying it's definitely an alien aircraft that has crashed. Another person saying it's a, definitely an alien aircraft that has set down. I've got some people saying that it's a military aircraft that has crashed and that it was carrying, uh, it was basically, a, you know, a hot bird. You know, it's carrying nuclear ordnance, and that's why everybody's being kept out because, you know, they don't want a case of what's called a broken arrow. Yeah. And, so, well, and there's, there's definitely something going on because I am definitely watching all these fire trucks and what looks to be like, you know, black SUVs and, you know, something serious is definitely going on. Um, I, like, I really have no experience uh, w- with one of these sites myself. I mean, I've only kind of read about it after the fact. We're having trouble getting a hold of Lucky, it looks like. Yeah, I thought I had him, but then it kind of went staticky and cut out. I, okay. yeah. I don't know if that means Reception has been going in and out of here. Um, well, what I mean, is there would there be a factor involved in that? or? Uh, well, the weather out here isn't exactly the greatest. Um there, there may be some sort of electrical interference, whether deliberate or not deliberate. I, you know, that's just speculation at my point. But huh. uh, we definitely have something going on. So, uh, like I said, though, uh, not having experience at these sites myself, um, is it is it possible that uh, you know this is this routine for something going on like this? Is this you know normally do you have this shutdown of, of an area if there's a supposed landing of some sort? Well, there was a small plane crash behind the um, firing range I usually go to, and they do, you know, have a police cordon off, you know, uh, the area. But this is not not like this. This is why I'm thinking this may be some something a little bit more than just your average aircraft coming down here. It's either something from beyond, or you know, something of military nature. Either way, it's one of these things that you got to check out. You get the report, you have to check it out. Now, how much? Uh, I mean, how much resistance are you meeting with trying to get closer to the site? Well, put it this way: uh, these police officers, and they look, look look like to be New Jersey State Troopers as well as various locals. Yeah, they have guns, and <laughs> uh, I happen to not bring mine, so I'm going to listen to them. Well, even if you had it, it'd be illegal because you cross state lines. Right. So, yeah, uh, but, and plus, uh, I don't think, uh, I don't think if anybody in uniform ever draws on you, it's a good, uh, good idea to draw back. But uh, yeah, I, I tend not to uh, try and draw their fire whenever possible. So just uh, well, we're we're trying to get lucky on. Uh, he, he's uh, Matt's still trying to connect with them. But um, uh, when you first got the call, I mean, what were you told that was enough to make you decide to to drive right down there? Well, uh, I got a call from another friend that was in New Jersey. Then I got a call from Lucky who had said he had heard from his friends and they checked out something that they were seeing earlier in the sky north of where he lives. Uh, he was describing a series of lights doing some weird motions and stuff like that. And he was talking about military aircraft and helicopters flying around afterwards. And then, you know... Uh, so I'm like, okay, uh, I made a phone call to another friend I know down in the area, and they said that, you know, they had heard a report of something, and then all of a sudden my friend calls me back and says, yeah, there's definitely something, you know, down by the river here, and we, we, we're pretty sure it's something from off-world. So I was like, that's all I needed to hear, and I hopped the train and gone. 
That'd be enough. That'd be enough. Uh, all right, I think we have Lucky on the line here, so let's uh, let, let's get him on. He's one of the at least in, at least in terms of our chain of events, he's one of the initial uh, ciders of one of the initial spotters of of what this uh, ship was. And, and Lucky, how are you? Hey, how you guys doing today? Oh, we're, we're spooktacular and pretty excited because, uh, you know, we thought we were coming in here telling spooky ghost stories tonight, you know, campfire type stories, and, and here we have breaking news of a potential UFO landing. Yeah, I mean, it's something that was completely unexpected. Uh, I mean, just being out there and just, you know, kind of minding my own business, and there it is. It's something I never thought I'd experience in my life. And what exactly was it that you saw? I mean, for, I mean, daylight time, so you must have gotten a pretty good look at it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, the lights still were incredibly bright, which was surprising to me. And it was, you know, hovering, and then it would move erratically uh, back and forth, and I just kind of was stunned. I mean, it was something where, you know, if I was thinking about it, I probably would have grabbed my camera phone, but it's just something you don't think about when you see something like that right off the bat. Well, I mean, that's that, unfortunately, that's what happens. We have all this technology at our fingertips, but it doesn't stop the awe factor when you run into something like this. Yeah, I had always I'd always talked to Matt and said, you know, oh, if I ever see you, I'll just snap a picture of my camera phone. But you know what? It doesn't work out like that. So, I mean, you living down there and the, and the amount of time that you're waiting for for Matt Moniz to come down there and and uh, help you kind of find out a little bit more about this. What's the scene been down there? I mean, the scene down here is kind of odd. I mean, I mean, they kind of closed off the area, and uh, and people in like kind of like. You know, outfits kind of like, you know, radiation outfits, darker colored and black fans, and they kind of, like you know, have a very hush-hush down here. And, you know, I even tried to go over and see what's going on, and I'm kind of afraid to even mention that I saw something. Huh. Well, that's the, the one good thing is we always use your nickname here on the show, so. Exactly. <laughs> we're not giving with your actual name. But you said, now, you said that they're wearing, like, some sort of uh, radiation suit, like a hazmat suit? Yeah, more like a hazmat suit. I mean, uh, it's... It's it's strange. I mean, it's something that's not like your normal hazmat you'd get from your normal town to pull up with red lights on. It's more of like just a regular truck, black van type thing. So uh, basically, it's starting to look like uh, you know the end of ET out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I was just like I'm waiting for the little bubble in a room to come out or something like that. But uh, you know, it's it's really tightly closed off too, so I, I can't even get to the site too well. I mean, bringing Matt in, you know, I'm sure he can swingle his way around more than I can. Well, normally I would say, you know, get in there at any means po- by any means possible, but uh, if they have guns and they're wearing some sort of protective suit, uh, it's probably something you don't want to get near um, yeah, guns, either Guns way. are an odd thing for hazmat people, I also thought. I was just like, you know, why, why would people have you know, guns for hazmat? And, you know, yeah, from normally, what I saw, it, I think they know what was here. Normally you would associate somebody wearing those type of suits as being like a, a cleanup crew or something on the scientific end, maybe CDC, not people that would normally be armed. What's strange is there, there's really no, like, there's nothing really here to show that there was something, you know, in the area except for eyewitnesses as, as far as I can see from here. Well, we thank you definitely for reporting this, and uh, definitely, uh, if, if anything else happens, if you, if you happen to get closer or you find anything out, give us a call back. But uh, otherwise, just make sure that you stay safe. Uh, you know, Spooky will be the uh, first people I call. <laughs> Excellent. All right, thank you very much. Thanks a lot, guys. and happy Halloween. Hey, happy Halloween to you guys too. All right, bye bye. All right, Matt, we're gonna um, we're gonna try and connect with uh, with Peter Robbins, a uh, UFO expert, and uh, and. And uh, a very frequent contributor to the show. Do you want to stay on the line while we try to get a hold of him? Or yeah, you can go for it right now. Like I said, I'm just looking out the window, watching traffic go back and forth. And uh, hmm. we're gonna try and uh, 
try and pull it off here. Matt's Matt's going to try and make the phone call. I think you got to hang this up. Can you hang that? You think you can hang that up with me? You still on there, right? We're uh, we're learning on the fly. This is not something that we've normally had to do. Where we've had usually we take a break and we get people on the phone, um, mm-hmm. but we're kind of going on the fly. And I've just gotten a text now too. Um, from Chris Balzano, who says that he's going to have some, he's got something that he wants to share with us too. Um, he wants to let us know. Uh, I'm trying to read it here. Well, he's got some information coming out of Florida about this. So this is going beyond just New Jersey. So we're going to, we'll, we'll call him in just a minute because I want to get Peter on the phone and, and see what he's hearing being a little bit more inside the UFO community. But in the meantime, Matt, we were able to get some of these tweets. Uh, from Professor Richard Pearson of Princeton University. Uh, uh, basically, he's kind of describing the same thing, reports of uh, multiple lights uh, in odd patterns, uh, d- performing odd maneuvers, um, which is uh, interesting because being daytime, uh, you would think that whatever is attached to those lights, you'd be able to see. You know, if it's an airplane and it's airplane lights, you'd be able to see more than that. Um You'd see the airplane behind them, but he's, at least in Professor Pearson's account, it's just the lights, uh, performing these maneuvers. Um, also, uh. Not uncommon. I mean, you get many UFO reports of just the lights itself, especially even during broad daylight. So this is not new. Well, and it also says too here that, uh, he was identified, uh, I'm sorry, he was contacted through, uh, an organization, and he says specifically, um, not MUFON, not government. So I don't know what that means, but he's he's saying that there's some sort of um, entity, some sort of body that contacted him and got him involved in it. And the last few tweets that they say, I mean, again, it's more of the same kind of thing that you're describing of it's being uh, segregated off, being cut off. Um, but in the last few tweets that he's describing, he's saying that him and a group of others have been uh, sequestered inside the site um, and that They've taken cell phones from everybody, but that he's using his uh, to tweet. He It says that he told them that he didn't have a cell phone um, and basically was able to hold on to it that way by telling them that he didn't carry one. Um, and now he's using it to tweet. And it, he says here, for historical record, in the event that none of those at the site make it out alive. So that sounds like it's something pretty serious if if this uh, Princeton professor is worried that uh, him and the others that are trapped inside won't uh, make it out alive. That is freaky. All right, so that's uh, that's from Professor Richard Pearson of Princeton University. And now on the line we have uh, Peter Robbins, who you know normally for the Bentwaters case, um, but I guess he's all over this case. So let's bring him on up. And, and Matt, it, again, if being there at the site, if anything goes on, if anything happens, feel free to just jump in with any kind of update. You got it. All right, Peter, how are you? Uh, thanks for joining okay. us here. I'm sorry? Are you there, Peter? Yeah, I yeah. am. Okay, uh, what do you know about this uh, sighting? What have you been hearing? Uh, just that um, uh, there have been sightings in the Massachusetts area, uh, parts of New England, and have very scattershot information. Um, I was hoping that you could fill me in a bit. Well, uh, apparently, uh, well, Matt, why don't you tell them what the sightings are, at least from, from down your neck of the woods, Matt Moniz? Uh, yeah, it was in New Jersey that uh, they had something come down right by a river's edge and that it's supposed to be still there. Uh, they they got the area all cordoned off. Uh, Lucky and I are hanging out outside the area, but they've got, you know, troopers and cops and 
Can no, you see anything from where you are, Matt, even like a glow or something? Uh, the, the, nothing that I wouldn't determine as being street lights off sure, of the distance. Sure. No, but, very uh, un, uh, very unnerving because obviously uh, this would be cause for serious concern. It's not, you know, a, a sighting. It doesn't sound like it has the earmarks of an abduction uh, kind of aspect unless uh, things continue to develop. Uh, I am concerned. This sounds more like overt, we are here, and um, what are you going to do about it? Well, I mean, Peter, if it's if it's one thing that we definitely know that you can be kind of a, an authority on, it's how the military would react uh, to a sighting from your work on the on the Bentwaters case. And from what Matt Moniz is saying uh, and from what Lucky was reporting, they basically shut down this area. And now we're hearing that this Professor Richard Pearson of Princeton and others have been sequestered within the site. Mm-hmm. And there seems to be kind of an embargo on any news coming out of it. I mean, is that kind of – is that uh, almost status quo for a sighting of this magnitude? Or? Um, I, I- – would have to say from my studies and experience and research on that particular case that you mentioned, the set pattern is there is no set pattern. Um, in the case of the Rendlesham Forest incident, American Air Force personnel were brought into the area in question, were ordered to surround uh, a situation. I say situation because it was at that point, it appeared as a, a ground fog, a mist on the ground that ultimately UFO did appear there. Um, I don't know. Um, I am concerned about them uh, reacting in a uh, a way that anticipates aggression and bringing in armaments, ordnance, uh, all kinds of weaponry. Um, we also have the factor of nervous uh, individuals mm-hmm. who might be very heavily armed and... Um, you know, uh, shots can be fired in intention as well as under order, so that would concern me tremendously. All right, well, um, definitely, uh, if you hear anything more, give us a, a buzz back, but, um, I mean, we'll basically, we'll just let you get back to trying to follow the story. There is some more news coming through. Um, I, I am seeing now there is a, a UK uh, UFO researcher named Peter Hopridge Stanton, and, um, uh, he is actually on site in New Jersey. This is coming from uh, um, uh, a news posting that's uh, on one of these alternative news sites. Yeah. Um, I, I don't. I don't know if I want to give them a plug uh, just yet, but it, it, the their news report is there. And this uh, fellow, this Peter Hopper Stanton, is saying that uh, uh, actually there's nothing going on. That uh, this is actually some sort of drill, mm. and. And then somebody else makes the point, they, the comments under the story, they make the point of what's a U.K. researcher doing in New Jersey if this just happened today? Well, number one, that could just be a matter of happenstance. Perhaps he's visiting a friend or something. It is intriguing. Uh, I, I look forward to hearing that interview. I will check in again, Tim, if I hear anything more, and good luck to your people on the ground there. All right, thank you very much. And it's not that far from you, Peter, so stay safe. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot. All right, take care. Thanks. Bye for now. Bye-bye. All right. Well, the, that's that's Peter Robbins, who uh, you know from his work, uh, the book Left at Eastgate, and uh, Matt Moniz, uh, definitely one of your longtime uh, associates within the field, and and um, you know, thankfully through you, we've been able to to keep in touch with him, so we can bring him in on something like this. And it, it's kind of interesting when you get the chance to tell a UFO researcher something that's kind of breaking news. <laughs> 
I, I, I didn't even get a chance to call him there earlier. I mean, I've been so engrossed in uh, dealing with this. Uh, when I went to New York, I didn't even stop in to say hi to Bud. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, get out of the Penn Station, Lucky picked me up, and we drove right out. And I've been out here since. And uh, the weather is not that great, but, you know, every now and then I'll keep trying to go down various little side streets. But every time, if you're walking out Matt, here... Matt, I don't mean to cut you off, but there has been another uh, tweet, another tw- uh, Twitter posting by this uh, Professor Richard Pearson. Uh, he says that there actually is uh, a ship. He He's saying that he clearly can see a ship, and there is the exiting of beings. And he said, but what's happening is as soon as they are uh, exiting the ship, they're dying. Um, and then his, these are his words, not mine. It is unclear whether it's due to our atmosphere or if they're being uh, poisoned in some manner. Um, so there are beings, apparently. Okay. There's, there's, there's something coming out of that ship. So if, if you happen to get a chance, uh, I don't think you'll get a chance to get close enough to see, but definitely uh, don't be afraid to just interrupt us if, if something should happen. Uh, well, I am, like I said, watching a bunch more cruisers fly up and down the road in each direction here. So, with lights going. So, things are definitely moving. We're talking about an actual real UFO landing then, and the presence of, uh, of extraterrestrial individuals. Well, I can't confirm that. All I can say is I know that I can't get any further than where I'm at, and these guys actually mean business. Well, this is coming from, uh, from, from Professor Richard Pearson, and uh, he claims to have with him uh, a, a news reporter named Carl Phillips uh, from a New Jersey radio station, uh, and they claim that they're going to be getting the report out there. Uh, he's working with this Carl Phillips to get the report out there. Um, so, again, we, we're, we don't know how easily they're going to be able to do that if they've taken cell phones. I mean, thankfully, we have this Twitter technology, you know, something that maybe, I don't, I don't know, like, 61 years ago, we wouldn't even have had. All right, Chris Balzano uh, is, is texting me again. He wants to get a hold of us uh, about something that he's hearing from, from NASA down there. So, Matt, let's get Chris Balzano on the phone. And, uh, Matt, I mean, this is just this is crazy. This is uh, uh, almost like something out of H.G. Wells, that we actually have these reports of a UFO landing. Again, for those who are just joining us, a UFO has apparently landed in New Jersey, uh, a town called Grover's Mill, and you said that's not too far from where does Lucky live? Yep. Where, 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 what town is he from? Nutley. Nutley. So it's not that far from Nutley. Grover's Mill, New Jersey. This UFO has apparently landed, and at least according to Professor Richard Pearson of Princeton University, who is actually uh, tweeting from his cell phone within the location, within the, the landing site, uh, there have been beings who have exited the ship, and as soon as they exit the ship, they are dying, so there are UFOs. <laughs> there, I'm sorry, there are extraterrestrial beings who are exiting the ship and dying. And he says it's unclear whether it's from our atmosphere or if they're being poisoned by some of these uh, agents that are around there. Um, if that's the case, <clears throat> Matt Moniz, excuse me, I, my mouth's running dry here. But if that's the case, if they are being uh, somehow poisoned or somehow being stopped by these uh, agency officials. That could probably that that would be seen as an act of aggression against these people, wouldn't it? I I would take it as such, yeah. So I uh, definitely would. And and we have no idea how they're going to respond to that. All right, uh, Chris Balzano is now joining us. Uh, you know him from uh, from the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads, his his many books, and and uh, I uh, we need to have him come on and, and promote the new one. Uh, Picture yourself capturing ghosts on film. Uh, but for right now, Chris, you you've actually got some reports coming out of Florida regarding this UFO sighting. 
I'm a I'm a ghost guy, but uh, I don't know what I've uh, got my foot in uh, to. Uh, <laughs> this has been a very weird 36 hours for me. Um, yesterday, uh, I was asked by my in-laws to drive them. Uh, they're taking a cruise uh, out to the Caribbean, I believe, and, and um, they, they were launching probably about maybe 20 miles from Cape Canaveral. So they asked us to drive us up there because we wanted to go to Halloween Horror Nights and all this. I'm sorry if I'm rambling, uh, the Halloween Horror Nights. Uh, in Orlando, and we had some friends there. Um, so we, we dropped them off, and, and we, we got uh, to Orlando, and my uh, the people we were staying with, um, <clears throat> sorry, I've also probably smoked probably about a pack of cigarettes uh, <laughs> in the past five hours. Um, <clears throat> but um, the, the people we were staying with, uh, who he's asked me to kind of not uh, mention his name, um, he's a reservist. And one of the things that... Uh, they don't really publicize is that there is, they, they cycle through these different reservists from the area uh, whenever there's a space launch. And he had actually been in the, involved in the launch earlier this week, and so it was really weird. He got a, a call to uh, come back, um, which was almost unheard of because, you know, they like I said, they, they cycle them through. Um, and he was, he was on the phone for probably about uh, 20 minutes, and he came back. This is a, a guy, he's about uh, 6'3", uh, and about 2.30, and he and shaved head goatee. And this is one of the toughest-looking <laughs> people that I've ever met in my life. And he's a, you know, a hunter and all this other stuff, and, and he, he was pale. And he said um, he had to go. He really couldn't give uh, much more information. Uh, we pressed him because he seemed really, you know, almost uh, uh, hysterical. Um, and he said that something, that they, he had gotten some information that something odd had happened uh, during the launch this week. Um, and that he was being called back, uh, that, that there was going to be another launch tonight, um, and that, um, and that, and this is, this is what kind of like sparked the conversation, the, the, the phone call. Um, he said that if we hear anything from the Northeast to get into the car immediately and drive to South Carolina where his mother lives and stay, to stay there until they hear otherwise. And so, um, <laughs> I wanted, <laughs> For me, I wanted to to take my son to a um, to a, a space launch because you know how often do you actually get to see a, a shuttle launch? And we so we, we you know hit the road to go there. It's not it's probably about an hour and a half, hour and forty five minutes from Orlando to to uh, to the Cape. So <clears throat> probably about maybe thirty miles before we reached it, uh, we were turned around. There was a roadblock. They were turning cars around. Uh, it was very odd because the um, the the other lane of traffic, the, the traffic going back west uh, towards Orlando, um, was all military vehicles coming this way. So there were there were cars going east towards there. Um, we got kind of caught in a jam. But then the the, the line of cars going um, going going back west uh, were all military that actually split the highway. And so the turnaround was, uh, you know, basically the. The eastbound uh, road was turned into a you know one-way highway each way, mm-hmm. and then the west side was all military. These were by military, I meant you know, I mean I don't know much about the military. Big green vehicles, um, the kind that they use to carry a lot of soldiers, uh, you know, like, like you see in the movies and yeah, such. Like so the, the open I, back I actually, kind of things, yeah. Right, I actually was able to uh, make contact with a group out of out of Coco. Um, who studies UFOs, and I kind of you know, told us this information. They had kind of a a, um, <laughs> a back road in there, um, and so I was able to kind of hook up with them, and I'm probably right now about five miles from Cape Canaveral, um, and I can see the, the launch site. I can see that there is 
Um, I mean, the lights are all on. Uh, there's a space, uh, you know, like a, like a shuttle. Uh-huh. Um, it's it's not like any shuttle I've ever seen. You know, like I've, I've watched the the space launches. This is this does not look like your typical shuttle. Uh, it looks something uh, like out of science fiction magazine. To be quite honest with you, I'm on actually on the beach right now. So uh, the, the the notes of kind of what I'm being told, I'm reading by the by the moonlight and by kind of the lights that are giving off. Um, and and um, what what I'm what I'm seeing, which is really kind of making me nervous, is that. There are probably about uh, seven, seventeen now. Cause like three more have joined in since I, since I kind of first did my count, um, and they look like to me um, what it looked like military helicopters, like Tomahawk helicopters, mm-hmm. um, and they're surrounding the actual launch site. Which I mean, I've never heard of uh, you know, a helicopter launch. Their security, but I've never heard of actual helicopters in the air, kind of hovering. Around, they're probably, I mean, I can't tell distance because I'm, you know, I'm probably, like I said, uh, you know, five, six, seven, ten, maybe ten miles away from the site. Uh, I'm looking up at them. They look to be probably maybe three or four miles, uh, like a perimeter almost around the, around the, the, the space launch and then the lights are all, uh, all going. Um, <laughs> the clock that's usually up, you have a big clock that kind of counts things down. Mm-hmm. It's not working. This is not a spectator thing. Um, as we were kind of making our way here, um, the, the group that I was with, uh, who now I've unfortunately been separated from, they um, they uh, we kind of had checkpoints. They were trying to bring a large group out here, and all the houses that we went to were, were basically evacuated, which makes me think that maybe those trucks were not carrying military somewhere, but kind of taking people yeah, I, out of this I area. I think I got some activity um, going on out here. Cr- cr- uh, right. Cr- the, the only the only reason why I know this is my my wife and my wife. <laughs> And her friend actually tuned into Spooky South Coast to hear um, to hear some spooky stories. And as soon as they heard the Northeast, their first call to me. But like I said, I've been now actually separated from the group that I was with. Um, so I'm kind of having to uh, <laughs> ride things out right now where I am. Um, but well, there Chris, is, Chris, we um, got we got Matt. Matt's uh, breaking in. He's got something happening right? down his way, and that that's oh, the space shuttle Mercury, by the way. Guys are, they got guns, dude. What what what's hap- what's happening? Matt? Matt. We we lost Matt Moniz. Matt, see if you can try and get a, a hold of him, see if you can get him back. But uh Um so Chris, that's the space uh that's the space shuttle Mercury uh that's slated to launch, at least according to the NASA website. And so for some reason they're they're taking protective measures against it. Uh, I don't know what Matt Moniz was just reporting, um uh, he's all he said is they have guns. He didn't say which, I guess which side uh, he'd be talking about has guns. Um, but that is uh, this is this isn't this isn't a space shuttle that I'm looking at right now. Um, this is something definitely. I mean, it, it doesn't have the, the form of it. It looks a lot. Uh, it looks a lot thinner. Um, it kind of has like a, a fat bottom, then thin. Uh, it's probably maybe they're, three fourths. So it's not the, the, it's not space shuttle. shuttle. They're claiming that the launch slated for tonight is the space is the uh, space shuttle Mercury. This isn't the Mercury. I mean, I don't know if the Mercury has like something special from other shuttles. I'm going by like what I know. This does not look like your typical NASA. There's no uh, markings on it whatsoever. Is it? Uh, there are lights that show the hull, things like that. You usually see the NASA symbol. You know, the little uh, yeah. the little thing going into orbit. Uh, none of that stuff is here. And and actually, in the in the past, since we've been talking, there are probably. 
once again, I can't tell, but over the ocean right now, maybe three or four uh, bright red lights. Yep, two have, two have split, so there's four. There's four bright red lights now, like way off in the distance. I mean, they look, they're, they're, they're in the sky, uh, but not over, kind of over the water, but not, um, <clears throat> if, if, kind of look, just look like bright stars because they're, they're that high up. Um, and they seem to be moving kind of slowly, like they're getting a little bit larger, but they're not, they're, they're still pretty off in the distance, but they're, they're, which, which weird, I, like I said, they're red and they seem to be, I know you, uh, I know you have no, slowly, no, but moving. I know you have no military uh, expertise or training, uh, but if you had to guess, is, is this whatever is on the the launch pad? Would you uh, would you think that it's weaponized? You know, I, it's, if I it sounds really silly and it sounds really stupid, but to me, it looks like a larger, thinner, longer version of the X file of the of the X Men jet. Um, that's <laughs> that's probably the best way that I can describe it. There's no visible weapons. There's no visible. Uh, missiles underneath or, or, or on the wings, but it definitely looks like, it looks like it, it, it's meant for, I mean, for, for, for speed and for, for, for engagement. I, I think it's becoming oh. clear here, at least from the reports we're getting, uh, uh, through, through Matt Moniz, through this piercing, that something has landed in New Jersey in a, in a town called Grover's Mill, and it seems like, uh, there are entities, there are beings, uh, that are exiting the ship. Um, the initial reports, at least from this Pearson, is that uh, through, who's tweeting from the site is uh, that these beings were coming out of the ship and, and dying, and now it seems like uh, there might be some sort of uh, e- escalation uh, in activity. Chris, we thank you for for joining us here. Um, we're we're going to try and find a little bit of news here, uh, that, and we'll definitely keep you up to date. So if you hear anything else, definitely give us a call back. And, and if Jill's still listening, just. Please, please try, and, and I, I can't guarantee that I can get out of here tonight, so I will hook up with you. Um, you gave me the address, so get out now if you can, and, and I'll call you later, okay? I All love right. you. Bye. All right. Good luck and Godspeed, Chris. That is Chris Balzano uh, calling in from. I mean, it's strange, just a, a series, almost like a series of coincidences, that Chris would be able to get uh, involved into this. And as he said, you know, being a ghost guy, he's not usually uh, involved in the UFO community, but he was kind of backdoored into this uh, sighting. So I mean, I don't know where to go with this. I don't know. I'm worried about Matt Modis because his uh, his phone keeps going to voicemail. So. Uh, the, I don't know what that. Let's just hope that you know the worst case scenario is is uh, he's now um, maybe. been taken in with his sight and maybe he'll be able to connect with this Richard Pearson, uh, Richard Pearson of Princeton, and uh, the news reporter Carl uh, uh, Phillips, Carl Phillips. So um, they're trying to get more information out. Matt, have you been able to find any stories on the internet? Anything about this at all? Uh, nothing yet. But... All right. Well, uh, again, we that's that's the the situation that we're in right now. Uh, normally. In today's world, in today's media environment, I can't imagine that anything would break like this and not be covered. Um, uh, there, there are some alternative news sites uh, that have been posting up there about it. Uh, again, we can't really confirm uh, what they're saying because they're not, you know, they're not a CNN, they're not an ABC News, they're not a trusted news site. Uh, so therefore, we wouldn't feel comfortable saying that you know what's being posted there is fact. Uh, again, we have these tweets from the Twitter account of uh, Richard Pearson. Uh, of Princeton University, and but there's also the counterpoint that's being made um, by Peter Hopridge Stanton, a UK uh, UFO researcher, um, who is claiming that there is nothing going on. I, I think now at this point, though, we can probably throw away those claims as being um, yeah. just counterspin. Uh, 
because of, well, I guess not counterspin, but just being spin. Uh, because I mean, Matt Moniz is on site giving us that report, and and now we're hearing um, that there are being so uh, folks. It's they probably couldn't have picked a better day to do this if they're going to do it, if they're going to land here and announce their presence. I mean, what better day than Halloween? I don't know why they picked New Jersey. <laughs> uh, ner- nervous, uh, nervous laughter here, nervous uh, joke making, but. Um, yes. All I know is that we can. We're going to be here for a whole. We're coming up against the news break right now. Um, we will be able to uh, stay with you through the next hour. Uh, I think in the next hour we'll be able to get some more reports in. Uh, we're going to try and connect with a few more people that we know. I'm going to. I I made some phone calls prior to coming into the show uh, to the Standard Times, the Associated Press, to uh, different news outlets that I work with, uh, being in the news business, and I couldn't find anybody that could give me any lead on any of this. I have to assume that. By now, if there is anything out there that's hit the wire, um, oftentimes what happens is we get it over the news wire, and then we disseminate the information through our websites, through our newspapers. Uh, so it could be coming across the wire now and just not reaching you know, the, the, the general public through the Internet. But we're going to try and find out what we can. During the news break, I'll make a few calls, a few more calls. I'll see what we can do. Um, obviously, no week and weird. Obviously, we're, we're just going to stick with this story for as much as we can. If you hear anything, please give us a call, 508-996-0500, Also, email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Uh, what we'll also, we'll try to call Pete Braley, um, who is the program director here at WBSM. We'll see if we can stay with this um, at least as long as we keep getting information and we'll stay on the air here through the night. Um, Matt, I don't know if you have to be anywhere at a certain time, but I can go for at least a few hours after our regular time. We're going to try and stay with this story and see what we can find out. Um, and then if, uh, if anything does break, we'll be sure to let you know uh, as soon as it does. And then uh, there's some people outside. Matt, um, the, those guys. In, I'm going to go talk to them. Okay. <laughs> the guy, there's uh, basically a dark car is pulled. All right, they're motioning for me. All right, I'll I'll be right back. Matt, just hold on. All right. Um, this is odd. Um, I don't really know what to say, but um, I, I guess I'll give you a play-by-play. Tim's going outside. Let me move the uh, mic closer to the window so I can get a good view. Um, he's out there. There's two men in uh, dark suits. Um, he's talking to them next to their uh, the vehicle, which is um, it's black with looks like um, government plates. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure what they're talking about. They're just kind of. I'm not. Tim's motioning. Do what we. He wants to cut the cut it. Hold on, hold on. What was all that about? We have to go. We have to uh, take a break. Just take a break. We can't. We, just we go to commercial. We don't have any commercials. We have to take a break. Do something. Run bumpers or something. We have to go. They're they're coming in. So take a break, please. Well, uh, we'll we'll be back uh, here on Spooky South Coast. WBSM. News Talk 1420. WBSM. News Talk 1420. WBSM. News Talk 1420. 
The Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations present Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the Air in The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the director of the Mercury Theater and star of these broadcasts, Orson Welles. We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's, and yet as mortal as his own. We know now that as human beings busied themselves about their various concerns, they were scrutinized and studied perhaps almost as narrowly as a man with a microscope might scrutinize the transient creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. With infinite complacence, people went to and fro over the earth about their little affairs, serene in the assurance of their dominion over this small, spinning fragment of solar driftwood, which by chance or design, man has inherited out of the dark mystery of time and space. Yet across an immense ethereal gulf, minds that are to our minds as ours are to the beasts in the jungle, intellects, vast, cool, and unsympathetic, regarded this earth with envious eyes and slowly and surely drew their plans against us. In the 39th year of the 20th century came the great disillusionment. Near the end of October... Business was better. The war scare was over. More men were back at work. Sales were picking up. On this particular evening, October 30th, the Crosley service estimated that 32 million people were listening in on radios. For the next 24 hours, not much change in temperature. A slight atmospheric disturbance of undetermined origin is reported over Nova Scotia causing a low-pressure area to move down rather rapidly over the northeastern states, bringing a forecast of rain accompanied by winds of light gale force. Maximum temperature, 66, minimum 48. This weather report comes to you from the Government Weather Bureau. We take you now to the Meridian Room in the Hotel Park Plaza in downtown New York, where you will be entertained by the music of Raymond Raquello and his orchestra. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, from the Meridian Room in the Park Plaza Hotel in New York City, we bring you the music of Raymond Raquello and his orchestra. With the touch of the Spanish, Raymond Raquello leads off with La Campesita. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. At 20 minutes before 8 central time, Professor Farrell of the Mount Jennings Observatory, Chicago, Illinois, reports observing several explosions of incandescent gas occurring at regular intervals on the planet Mars. 
The spectroscope indicates the gas to be hydrogen and moving toward the Earth with enormous velocity. Professor Pearson of the observatory at Princeton confirms Farrell's observation and describes the phenomenon as, quote, like a jet of blue flame shot from a gun, unquote. We now return you to the music of Ramon Raquello playing for you in the Meridian Room of the Park Plaza Hotel situated in downtown New York. tune that never loses favor, the ever-popular Stardust, Raymond Raquello and his orchestra. Ladies and gentlemen, following on the news given in our bulletin a moment ago, the Government Meteorological Bureau has requested the large observatories of the country to keep an astronomical watch on any further disturbances occurring on the planet Mars. Due to the unusual nature of this occurrence, we have arranged an interview with a noted astronomer, Professor Pearson, who will give us his views on this event. In a few moments, we will take you to the Princeton Observatory at Princeton, New Jersey. We return you until then to the music of Ramon Raquello and his orchestra. now to take you to the Princeton Observatory at Princeton, where Carl Phillips, our commentator, will interview Professor Richard Pearson, famous astronomer. We take you now to Princeton, New Jersey. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is, this is Carl Phillips speaking to you from the observatory at Princeton. I'm, I'm, I'm standing in a large semicircular room, pitch black except for an oblong split in the ceiling. Through this opening, I can see a sprinkling of stars that cast a kind of frosty glow over the intricate mechanism of the huge telescope. The ticking sound you hear is the vibration of the clockwork. Professor Pearson stands directly above me on a small platform, peering through the giant lens. I'll ask you to be patient, ladies and gentlemen, during any delay that may arise during our interview. Besides the ceaseless watch of the heavens, Professor Pearson may be interrupted by telephone or other communications. During this period, he is in constant touch with the astronomical centers of the world. Professor, may I begin our questions? Any time, Mr. Phillips. Professor, would you please tell our radio audience exactly what you see as you observe the planet Mars through your telescope? Nothing unusual at the moment, Mr. Phillips. A red disk swimming in the blue sea. Transverse stripes across the disk. Quite distinct now because Mars happens to be at the point nearest the Earth in opposition, as we call it. In your opinion, what do these transverse stripes signify, Professor Pearson? Not canals, I can assure you, Mr. Phillips. Although that's the popular conjecture of those who imagine Mars to be inhabited. From a scientific viewpoint, the stripes are merely the result of atmospheric conditions peculiar to the planet. Then you're quite convinced, as a scientist, that living intelligence as we know it does not exist on Mars? I'd say the chances against it are a thousand to one. And yet... 
how do you account for these gas eruptions occurring on the surface of the planet at regular intervals? Phillips, I cannot account for it. Oh, by the way, Professor, for the benefit of our listeners, how far is Mars from the Earth? Approximately 40 million miles. <laughs> well, that seems a safe enough distance. Uh, just a moment, ladies and gentlemen. Someone has just handed Professor Pearson a message. While he reads it, let me remind you that we, we are speaking to you from the observatory in Princeton, New Jersey, where we are interviewing the world-famous astronomer Professor Pearson. Uh, one moment, please. Professor Pearson has passed me a message which he has just received. Uh, Professor, may I read the message to the listening audience? Certainly, Mr. Brooks. Ladies and gentlemen, I shall read you a wire addressed to Professor Pearson from Dr. Gray of the Natural History Museum, New York. Quote, 9.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Seismograph registered shock of almost earthquake intensity occurring within a radius of 20 miles of Princeton. Please investigate. Signed, Lloyd Gray, Chief of Astronomical Division. Unquote. Professor Pearson, could this occurrence possibly have something to do with the disturbances observed on the planet Mars? Oh, hardly, Mr. Phillips. This is probably a meteorite of unusual size, and its arrival at this particular time is merely a coincidence. However, we shall conduct a search as soon as daylight permits. Thank you, Professor. Ladies and gentlemen, for the past ten minutes, we've been speaking to you from the observatory at Princeton, bringing you a special interview with Professor Pearson, noted astronomer. This is Carl Phillips speaking. We are returning you now to our New York studio. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the latest bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. Toronto, Canada. Professor Morse of Macmillan University reports observing a total of three explosions on the planet Mars between the hours of 7.45 p.m. and 9.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This confirms earlier reports received from American observatories. Now nearer home comes a special bulletin from Trenton, New Jersey. It is reported that at 8.50 p.m., a huge flaming object, believed to be a meteorite, fell on a farm in the neighborhood of Grover's Mill, New Jersey, 22 miles from Trenton. The flash in the sky was visible within a radius of several hundred miles, and the noise of the impact was heard as far north as Elizabeth. We have dispatched a special mobile unit to the scene, and we'll have our commentator, Carl Phillips, give you a word picture of the scene as soon as he can reach there from Princeton. In the meantime, we take you to the Hotel Martinet in Brooklyn, where Bobby Millette and his orchestra are offering a program of dance music. Take you now to Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Carl Phillips again, out at the Wilmot Farm, Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Professor Pearson and myself made the 11 miles from Princeton in 10 minutes. Well, I hardly know where to begin. Paint for you a word picture of a strange scene before my eyes, like something out of a modern Arabian night. Well, I just got here. I haven't had a chance to look around yet. I guess that's it, yes. I guess that's the thing directly in front of me. Half buried in a vast pit. Must have struck with terrific force. The ground is covered with splinters of a tree. It must have struck on its way down. But I can see the object itself doesn't look very much like a meteor. 
At least not the meteors I've seen. It looks more like a huge cylinder. Has a diameter of, um... Um, what would you say, Professor Pearson? What's that? Uh, what would you say, uh, what's the diameter of the... About 30 yards. About 30 yards. The metal on the sheath is... Well, I've never seen anything like it. The color is sort of yellowish-white. It's curious... Spectators now are pressing close to the object in spite of the efforts of the police to keep them back. They're getting in front of my line of vision. Uh, 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 would you mind standing one side, please? While the police are pushing the crowd back. Here's Mr. Wilmot, owner of the farm here. He may have some interesting facts to add. Mr. Wilmot, uh, would you please tell the radio audience as much as you remember of this rather unusual visitor that dropped in your backyard? Uh, step closer, please. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mr. Wilmot. Well, I was listening to the radio. Closer and louder, please, Pardon me? Uh, louder, please, Cousin. Yes. <clears throat> I was listening to the radio and kind of drowsing. That professor fellow was talking about Mars, so I was half dozing and half... Yes, dozen. yes, Mr. Wilmot, and uh, then what happened? Well, as I was saying, I was listening to the radio kind of halfway... Yes, Mr. Wilmot, and then you saw something. Well, not first off. I heard something. And what did you hear? A hissing sound like this. Uh, kind of like a Fourth of July rocket. Yes, then what? I turned my head out the window and would have sworn I was to sleep and dreaming. Yes. I seen a kind of greenish streak and then zingo. Something smacked the ground. Knocked me clear out of my chair. Well, were you frightened, Mr. Wilmot? Well, I ain't quite sure. I reckon I was kind of riled. Well, thank you, Mr. Wilmot. Thank you very much. Yeah, you want me to tell No, that's quite on? all right. That's plenty. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just heard Mr. Wilmot, owner of the farm, where this thing has fallen. I wish I could convey the atmosphere, the background of this fantastic scene. Hundreds of cars are parked in the field in back of us and the police are trying to rope off the roadway leading into the farm, but it's no use. They're breaking right through. The car's headlights throw an enormous spotlight on the pit where the object's half buried. Now, some of the more daring souls now are venturing near the edge. Yeah, the silhouettes stand out against the metal chain. <laughs> One man wants to touch the thing. He's having an argument with a policeman. Now, the policeman wins. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there's something I haven't mentioned in all this excitement, but it's becoming more distinct. Perhaps you've caught it already on your radio. Listen, please. Do you hear it? It's a curious humming sound that seems to come from inside the object. I'll uh, move the microphone nearer. Here. Now, we're not more than 25 feet away. Uh, can you hear it now? Uh, Professor Pearson. Yes, of course. Uh, can you tell us the meaning of that scraping noise inside the thing? Possibly the unequal cooling of its surface. I say, do you still think it's a meteor, Professor? I don't know what to think. The uh, metal casing is definitely extraterrestrial. Uh, not found on this Earth. Friction with the Earth's atmosphere usually tears holes in a meteorite. This thing is smooth and... You can see its cylindrical shape. Something's happening. Ladies and gentlemen, this is terrific. This end of the thing is beginning to flake off the... Top is beginning to rotate like a screw, and this thing must be hollow. He's moving. Keep those men back. Keep those idiots back. Take off. The top blew. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the most terrifying thing I've ever witnessed. Wait a minute. Someone's calling someone or something. I can see. Turning out of that black hole, two luminous discs. The eyes, it might be a face, might be almost... But heavens, something wriggling out of the shadow like a gray snake. Now it's another one and another one and another one. 
It looks like tentacles to me. Oh, yeah, I can see the thing's body now. It's large. It's large as a bear. It glistens like wet leather, but that face, that face is a gentleman's indescribable, but I can hardly force myself to keep looking at it. It's so awful. The eyes are black and they gleam like a serpent. The mouth is that's kind of V-shaped with saliva dripping from its rimless lips. It seems to oh, quiver and pulsate and the monster or whatever it is can hardly move. It seems weighed down by uh, possibly gravity or something. The thing's rising up now and the crowd falls back. It seems plenty. The most extraordinary experience, ladies and gentlemen, I can't find words. And, well, I'll pull this microphone with me as I talk. I'll have to stop the description so I can take a new position. Hold on, will you please? I'll be right back in a minute. bringing you an eyewitness account of what's happening on the Wilmoth Farm, Grover's Mill, New Jersey. We now return you to Carl Phillips at Grover's Mill. Ladies and gentlemen, my aunt. Ladies and gentlemen... Ladies and gentlemen, here I am, back of a stone wall that adjoins Mr. Wilma's garden. From here, I get a sweep of the whole scene. I'll give you every detail as long as I can talk and as long as I can see. More state police have arrived. They're drawing up a cordon in front of the pit. About 30 of them. No need to push the crowd back now. They're willing to keep their distance. The captain's conferring with someone. Can't quite see who. Oh, yes, I believe it's Professor Pearson. Yes, it is. Now, now they've parted and the professor moves around one side... Studying the object while the captain and two policemen advance with something in their hands. I can see it now. It's a white handkerchief tied to a pole. Flag of truce. If those creatures know what that means, what anything means. Wait a minute. Something's happening. A humped shape is rising out of the pit. I can make out a small beam of light against a mirror. What's that? There's a jet of flame springing from the mirror and it leaps right at the advancing men. Strike some head on. Lord, they're turning into flames. Ah! Oh, the whole field's caught up by the woods. The fires, the, the gas tanks, tanks of the automobiles spreading everywhere. Coming this way now, about 20 yards to my right. Ladies and gentlemen, due to circumstances beyond our control, we are unable to continue the broadcast from Grover's Mill. Evidently, there's some difficulty with our field transmission. However... We will return to that point at the earliest opportunity. In the meantime, we have a late bulletin from San Diego, California. Professor Indelkoffer, speaking at a dinner of the California Astronomical Society, expressed the opinion that the explosions on Mars are undoubtedly nothing more than severe volcanic disturbances on the surface of the planet. We continue now with our piano interlude. Ladies and gentlemen, I've just been handed a message that came in from Grover's Mill by telephone. Just one moment, please. At least 40 people, including six state troopers, lie dead in a field east of the village of Grover's Mill. Their bodies burned and distorted beyond all possible recognition. The next voice you hear will be that of Brigadier General Montgomery Smith, commander of the state militia at Trenton, New Jersey. I have been requested by the governor of New Jersey to place the counties of Mercer and Middlesex as 
as far west as Princeton and uh, east to Jamesburg under martial law. No one will be permitted to enter this area except by special pass issued by state or military authorities. Four companies of state militia are proceeding from Trenton to Grover's Mill and uh, will aid in the evacuation of homes within the range of military operations. Thank you. You have just been listening to General Montgomery Smith, commanding the state militia at Trenton. In the meantime, further details of the catastrophe at Grover's Mill are coming in. The strange creatures, after unleashing their deadly assault, crawled back in their pit and made no attempt to prevent the efforts of the firemen to recover the bodies and extinguish the fire. The combined fire departments of Mercer County are fighting the flames which menace the entire countryside. We have been unable to establish any contact with our mobile unit at Grover's Mill, but we hope to be able to return you there at the earliest possible moment. In the meantime, we take you to... Just one moment, please. Ladies and gentlemen, I have just been informed that we have finally established communication with an eyewitness of the tragedy. Professor Pearson has been located at a farmhouse near Grover's Mill, where he has established an emergency observation post. As a scientist, he will give you his explanation of the calamity. The next voice you hear will be that of Professor Pearson, brought to you by direct wire. Professor Pearson. Of the creatures in the rocket cylinder at Grover's Mill, I can give you no authoritative information, either as to their nature, their origin, or their purposes here on Earth. Of their destructive instrument, I might venture some conjectural explanation. For one of a better term, I shall refer to the mysterious weapon as a heat ray. It's all too evident that these creatures have scientific knowledge far in advance of our own. It's my guess that in some way they are able to generate an intense heat in a chamber of practically absolute non-conductivity. This intense heat they project in a parallel beam against any object they choose by means of a polished parabolic mirror of unknown composition, much as the mirror of a lighthouse projects a beam of light. That is my conjecture of the origin of the heat ray. Thank you, Professor Pearson. Ladies and gentlemen, here is a bulletin from Trenton. It is a brief statement informing us that the charred body of Carl Phillips has been identified in a Trenton hospital. Now, here's another bulletin from Washington, D.C. The office of the director of the National Red Cross reports ten units of Red Cross emergency workers have been assigned to the headquarters of the state militia, stationed outside of Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Here's a bulletin from State Police, Princeton Junction. The fires at Grover's Mill and vicinity are now under control. Scouts report all quiet in the pit, and there is no sign of life appearing from the mouth of the cylinder. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special statement from Mr. Harry McDonald, vice president in charge of operations. We have received a request from the state militia of Trenton to place at their disposal our entire broadcasting facilities. In view of the gravity of the situation, and believing that radio has a responsibility to serve in the public interest at all times... We are turning over our facilities to the state militia at Trenton. We take you now to the field headquarters of the state militia near Grover's Mill, New Jersey. This is Captain Lansing of the Signal Corps attached to the state militia, now engaged in military operations in the vicinity of Grover's Mill. Situation arising from the reported presence of certain individuals of unidentified nature is now under complete control. 
The cylindrical object, which lies in a pit directly below our position, surrounded on all sides by eight battalions of infantry, without heavy field pieces, but adequately armed with rifles and machine guns. All cause for alarm, if such cause ever existed, is now entirely unjustified. Things, whatever they are, do not even venture to poke their heads above the pit. I can see their hiding place plainly in the glare of the searchlights here. With all their reported resources, these creatures can scarcely stand up against heavy machine gun fire. Anyway, it's an interesting outing for the troops. I can make out their cocky uniforms crossing back and forth in front of the lights. Looks almost like a real war. There appears to be some slight smoke in the woods bordering the Millstone River. Probably fire started by campers. Well, uh, we ought to see some action soon. One of the companies is deploying on the left flank. A quick thrust and it'll all be over. Now, wait a minute. I see something on top of the cylinder. No, no, it's nothing but a shadow. Now the troops are on the edge of the Wilmot Farm. 7,000 armed men closing in on an old metal tube. A tub, rather. Well, wait, that wasn't a shadow. It's something moving. Solid metal, kind of a shield-like affair rising up out of the cylinder. It's going higher and higher. What? It's, it's standing on legs, actually rearing up on a sort of metal framework. Now it's reaching above the trees and the searchlights are on it. Hold on. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army from the planet Mars. The battle which took place tonight at Grover Mills has ended in one of the most startling defeats ever suffered by an army in modern times. 7,000 men armed with rifles and machine guns pitted against a single fighting machine of the invaders from Mars. 120 known survivors. The rest strewn over the battle area from Grover's Mill to Plainsboro, crushed and trampled to death under the metal feet of the monster, or burned to cinders by its heat ray. The monster is now in control of the middle section of New Jersey and has effectively cut the state through its center. Communication lines are down from Pennsylvania to the Atlantic Ocean. Railroad tracks are torn and service from New York to Philadelphia discontinued except routing some of the trains through Allerton and Phoenixville. Highways to the north, south, and west are clogged with frantic human traffic. Police and army reserves are unable to control the mad flight. By morning, the fugitives will have swelled Philadelphia, Camden, and Trenton it is estimated to twice their normal population. Martial law prevails throughout New Jersey and eastern Pennsylvania. At this time, we take you to Washington for a special broadcast on the national emergency. The Secretary of the Interior. Citizens of the nation, I shall not try to conceal the gravity of the situation that confronts the country nor the concern of your government in protecting the lives and property of its people. However, I wish to impress upon you, private citizens and public officials, all of you, the urgent need of calm and resourceful action. Fortunately, this formidable enemy is still confined to a comparatively small area and we may place our faith in the military forces to keep them there. In the meantime, placing our faith in God, 
we must continue the performance of our duties, each and every one of us, so that we may confront this destructive adversary with a nation united, courageous, and consecrated to the preservation of human supremacy on this earth. I thank you. You have just heard the Secretary of the Interior speaking from Washington. Bulletins too numerous to read are piling up in the studio here. We're informed that the central portion of New Jersey is blacked out from radio communication due to the effect of the heat ray upon power lines and electrical equipment. Here is a special bullet in New York. Cables have been received from English, French, and German scientific bodies offering assistance. Astronomers report continued gas outbursts at regular intervals on the planet Mars. The majority voiced the opinion that the enemy will be reinforced by additional rocket machines. There have been several attempts made to locate Professor Pearson of Princeton, who has observed Martians at close range. It is feared he was lost in the recent battle. Langham Field, Virginia. Scouting planes report three Martian machines visible above treetops, moving north toward Somerville with population fleeing ahead of them. The heat ray is not in use, although advancing at express train speed, invaders pick their way carefully. They seem to be making a conscious effort to avoid destruction of cities and countryside. However, they stop to uproot power lines, bridges, and railroad tracks. Their apparent objective is to crush resistance, paralyze communication, and disorganize human society. Here is a bulletin from Basking Ridge, New Jersey. Coon hunters have stumbled on a second cylinder similar to the first embedded in the Great Swamp 20 miles south of Morristown. Army field pieces are proceeding from Newark to blow up the second invading unit before the cylinder can be opened in the fighting machine rig. They are taking up a position in the foothills of Watchung Mountains. Another, another, another bulletin from Langham Field, Virginia. Scouting planes report enemy machines now three in number, increasing speed northward, kicking over houses and trees in their evident haste to form a conjunction with their allies south of Marstown. Machines also sighted by telephone operator east of Middlesex within 10 miles of Plainfield. Here's a bulletin from Winston Field, Long Island. A fleet of army bombers carrying heavy explosives flying north in pursuit of enemy. Scouting planes act as guides. They keep the speeding enemy in sight. Just a moment, please, ladies and gentlemen. We've, uh, we've run special wires to the artillery line in adjacent villages to give you direct reports in the zone of the advancing enemy. First, we take you to the battery of the 22nd Field Artillery, located in the Washington Mountains. Range 32 meters. 32 meters. Direction 39 degrees. 39 degrees. Fire. Forty yards to the right, sir. Ship range, 31 meters. 31 meters. Projection, 37 degrees. 37 degrees. Fire. Eight, sir. Got the tripod of one of them. That's up. The others are trying to repair it. Quick, get the range. Ship, 50, 30 meters. 30 meters. Projection, 27 degrees. 27 degrees. Fire. Can't see the shell answer. Letting off a smoke. What is it? Black smoke, sir. Moving this way. Flying close to the ground. Moving fast. Put on gas masks. Get ready to fire. Shift to 24 meters. 24 meters. Projection, 24 degrees. 24 degrees. Fire. 
Sir, can't see, sir. Smoke's coming nearer. Get the rain. Twenty-three meters. Twenty-three meters. Bombing plane V-843 off Bayonne, New Jersey. Lieutenant Volk, commanding eight bombers, reporting to Commander Fairfax Langham Field. This is Volk reporting to Commander Fairfax Langham Field. Enemy tripod machines now in sight. Reinforced by three machines from the Marstown Cylinder. Six altogether. One machine partially crippled. Believed hit by shell from army gun in Wachung Mountains. Guns now appear silent. A heavy black fog hanging close to the earth of extreme density, nature unknown. No sign of heat ray. Enemy now turns east, crossing Passaic River into the Jersey marshes. Another straddles the Pulaski Skyway. Evident objective is New York City. They're pushing down a high-tension power station. Machines are close together now, and we're ready to attack. Planes circling, ready to strike. A thousand yards, and we'll be over the first. Eight hundred yards. Six hundred. Four hundred. Two hundred. There they go. A giant arm raised. Green flash. They're spraying us with flame. Two thousand feet. Engines are giving out. No chance to release bombs. Only one thing left. Drop on them. Plane and all. We're diving on the first one. Now the engine's gone. Eight. This is Bayonne, New Jersey, calling Langham Field. This is Bayonne, New Jersey, calling Langham Field. Come in, please. This is Langham Field. Go ahead. Eight Army bombers in engagement with enemy tripod machines over Jersey Flats. Engines incapacitated by heat ray. All crashed. One enemy machine destroyed. Enemy now discharging heavy black smoke in direction of... This is Newark, New Jersey. This is Newark, New Jersey. Warning. Poisonous black smoke pouring in from Jersey marshes. Reaches South Street. Gas masks useless. Urge population to move into open spaces. Automobiles use routes 7, 23, 24. Avoid congested areas. Smoke now spreading over, over Raymond Boulevard. QX2L calling CQ, 2X2L calling CQ, 2X2L calling 8X3R. Come in, please. This is 8X3R coming back at 2X2L. Eyes reception. Eyes reception. K, please. 
Where are you, 8X3R? What's the matter? Where are you? I'm speaking from the roof of Broadcasting Building. I'm speaking from the roof of Broadcasting Building, New York City. The bells you hear are ringing to warn the people to evacuate the city as Martians approach. Estimated in the last two hours, three million people have moved out along the roads to the north. Hutchison River Parkway is still kept open for motor traffic. Avoid bridges to Long Island, hopelessly jammed. All communication with Jersey Shore closed ten minutes ago. No more defenses. Our army is wiped out. Artillery, Air Force, everything wiped out. This may be the last broadcast. We'll stay here to the end. People are holding service here below us in the cathedral. Now I look down the harbor, all, all manner of boats, overloaded with fleeing population, pulling out from docks. Streets are all jammed, noise and crowds like New Year's Eve in city. Wait a minute, the, the enemy is now in sight above the Palisades, five... Five great machines. First one is crossing the river. I can see it from here, wading, wading the Hudson like a man wading through a brook. A bulletin is handed me. Martian cylinders are falling all over the country. One outside of Buffalo, one in Chicago, St. Louis. Seem to be timed and spaced. Now the first machine reaches the shore. He stands watching, looking over the city. Steel cowlish head is even with the skyscrapers. He waits for the others. They rise like a line of new towers on the city's west side. Now they're lifting their metal hands. This is the end now. Smoke comes out, black smoke drifting over the city. People in the streets see it now. They're running toward the East River, thousands of them, dropping in like rats. Now the smoke's spreading faster. It's reached Times Square. People are trying to run away from it, but it's no use. They, they're falling like flies. Now the smoke's crossing 6th Avenue. Fifth Avenue, a uh, hundred yards away, it's, it's 50 feet.
CQ. 2X2L calling CQ. 2X2L calling CQ, New York. Isn't there anyone on the air? Isn't there anyone on the air? Isn't there anyone? 2X2L. You are listening to a CBS presentation of Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the Air in an original dramatization of The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. The performance will continue after a brief intermission. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells, starring Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the Air. set down these notes on paper. I'm obsessed by the thought that I may be the last living man on earth. I've been hiding in this empty house near Grover's Mill, a small island of daylight cut off by the black smoke from the rest of the world. All that happened before the arrival of these monstrous creatures in the world now seems part of another life. A life that has no continuity with the present furtive existence of the lonely derelict who pencils these words on the back of some astronomical notes bearing the signature of Richard Pearson. I look down at my blackened hand and I try to connect them with a professor who lives at Princeton and who on the night of October 20th glimpsed through his telescope an orange splash of light on a distant planet. My wife my colleagues, my students, my books, my observatory, my my world. Where are they? Did they ever exist? Am I Richard Pearson? What day is it? Do days exist without calendars? Does time pass when there are no human hands left to wind the clocks? Writing down my daily life, I tell myself I shall preserve human history between the dark covers of this little book that was meant to record the movements of the stars. But to write, I must live, and to live, I must eat. Find moldy bread in the kitchen and an orange not too spoiled to swallow. Keep watch at the window. Time to time, I catch sight of a Martian above the black smoke. The smoke still holds the house in its black coil, but at length there's a hissing sound, and suddenly I see a Martian mounted on his machine, spraying the air with a jet of steam as if to dissipate the smoke. I watch in a corner as his huge metal legs nearly brush against the house. Exhausted by terror, I fall asleep. Morning. Morning. Sun streams in the window. The black cloud of gas is lifted, and the scorched meadows to the north look as though a black snowstorm had passed over them. 
I venture from the house. I make my way to a road, no traffic. Here in their wrecked car, baggage overturned, a blackened skeleton. Push on north. Some reason I feel safer trailing these monsters than running away from them. And I keep a careful watch. I've seen the Martians feed. Should one of their machines appear over the top of trees, I'm ready to fling myself flat on the earth. Come to a chestnut tree. October. Chestnuts are ripe. Fill my pockets. I must keep alive. Two days I wander in a vague northerly direction through a desolate world. Finally, I notice a living creature. A small red squirrel in a beech tree. I stare at him and wonder. He stares back at me. I believe at that moment the animal and I shared the same emotion. The joy of finding another living being. Push on north, I find dead cows in a brackish field and beyond the charred ruins of a dairy in a silo. Main standing guard over the wasteland like a lighthouse. Deserted by the sea. Stride the silo, purchase a weathercock. The arrow points north. North. Next day, I come to a city. City vaguely familiar in its contours, yet its buildings strangely dwarfed and leveled off as if of a giant had sliced off its highest towers with a capricious sweep of his hand. Reached the outskirts, I found Newark. Newark, undemolished but humbled by some whim of the advancing Martians. Presently, with an odd feeling of being watched, I caught sight of something crouching in a doorway. I made a step towards it and rose up and became a man. Man armed with a large knife. Stop! Where do you come from? Well, I come from. from many places. A long time ago, from Princeton. Princeton, huh? That's near Grover's Mill. Yes. Grover's Mill. <laughs> There's no food here. This is my country. All this end of town down the river. There's only food for one. Which way are you going? I don't know. I guess I'm looking for people. Hey, what was that? Did you hear something just then? No. Only a bird. A live bird. Uh, you get to know that birds have shadows these days. Hey, we're in the open here. Let's crawl in this doorway here and talk. Have you seen any Martians? No. They've gone over to New York. Night, the sky's alive with their lights, just as if people were still living in it. By daylight, you can't see them. Five days ago, a couple of them carried something big across the flats from the airport. I think they're learning how to fly. Fly? Yeah, fly. Hmm. Well, it's all over with humanity. Stranger, there's still you and I. Two of us left. Yeah. They got themselves in solid. They wrecked the greatest country in the world. Those green stars, they're probably falling somewhere every night. 
They've only lost one machine. There isn't anything to do. We're done. We're licked. Where were you? You're in a uniform. Yeah, what's left of it. I was in the militia. National Guard. <laughs> That's good. There wasn't any war. Any more than there's war between men and ants. Yes, but we're eatable ants. I found that out. What'll they do to us? I thought it all out. Right now, we're caught as we're wanted. A Martian only has to go a few miles to get a crowd on the run. But they won't keep on doing that. They'll begin catching us systematic-like, keeping the best and storing us in cages and things. They haven't begun on us yet. Not begun? Not begun. All that's happened so far is because we don't have sense enough to keep quiet. Bothering them with guns and such stuff and losing our heads and rushing off in crowds. Now, instead of our rushing around blind, we've got to fix ourselves up. Fix ourselves up according to the way things are now. Cities, nations, civilization, progress. Yes, but if that's so, what is there to live for? Well, there won't be any more concerts for a million years or so and no nice little dinners at restaurants. If it's amusement you're after, I guess the game's up. What is there left? Life, that's what. I want to live. Yeah, and so do you. We're not going to be exterminated. And I don't mean to be caught either. Tamed and fattened and bred like an ox. gonna do i'm going on right under their feet i got a plan we men as men we're finished we don't know enough we got to learn plenty before we got a chance we've got to live and keep free while we learn see i've thought it all out see well, tell me the rest well it isn't all of us that are made for wild beasts that's what it got it that's what it got to be that's why i watched you watched you all those little office workers that used to live in these houses, they'd be no good. They haven't any stuff in them. They used to run, run off to work. I've seen hundreds of them running to catch their commuter's train in the morning, afraid they could can if they didn't. Running back at night, afraid they wouldn't be in time for dinner. Lives insured and a little invested in case of accidents. Yeah, and on Sundays, worried about the hereafter. Well, the Martians, they'll be a godsend for those guys. Nice roomy cages, good food, careful breeding, no worries. Yeah, after a week or so of chasing around the fields on empty stomachs, they'll come and be glad to be caught. You've thought it all out, haven't you? Sure, you bet I have. That isn't all. These Martians are going to make pets of some of them. Train them to do tricks. Who knows, get sentimental over the pet boy who grew up and had to be killed. Yeah, and some maybe... They'll train to hunt us. Oh, no, it's impossible. Human yes, beings. they will. There's men who do it gladly. If one of them ever comes after me, why? In the meantime, you and I and others like us, where are we to live when the Martians own the earth? I got it all figured out. We'll live underground. I've been thinking about the sewers. Under New York, there are miles and miles of them. The main ones, they're big enough for anybody. Then there's cellars, vaults, underground storerooms, railway tunnels, subways. You begin to see, huh? We'll get a bunch of strong men together. No weaklings. That rubbish, out. As you meant me to go. All right. Give you a chance, didn't I? Won't quarrel about that. Go on. Well, you got to make safe places for us to stay in, see? Get all the books we can. Science books. 
That's where men like you come in, see? We raid the museums. We'll even spy on the Martians. May not be so much we have to learn before... Just imagine this. Four or five of their own fighting machines suddenly start off. Heat rays right and left. Not a Martian in them. Not a Martian in them, see? But men. Men who've learned the way how. May even in our time. Gee. Imagine having one of them lovely things with a heat ray wide and free. We turn it on Martians. We turn it on men. We bring everybody down on their knees. That's your plan. You. Me. A few more of us. We don't the world. I see. Hey. Hey, what's the matter? Where are you going? Not to your world. Bye, stranger. Well, after parting with the artilleryman, I came at last to the Holland Tunnel, entered that silent tube, anxious to know the fate of the great city on the other side of the Hudson. Cautiously, I came out of the tunnel and made my way up Canal Street. Reached 14th Street, and there again were black powder and several bodies and an evil, ominous smell from the gratings of the cellars of some of the houses I... Wandered up through the 30s and 40s. Stood alone on Times Square. Caught sight of a lean dog running down 7th Avenue with a piece of dark brown meat in his jaws and a pack of starving mongrels at his heels. Made a wide circle around me as though he feared I might prove a fresh competitor. Walked up Broadway in the direction of that... that strange powder past silent shop windows displaying their mute wares to empty sidewalks. Past the Capitol Theater, silent, dark. Past a shooting gallery where a row of empty guns faced an arrested line of wooden ducks near Columbus Circle. I noticed models of 1939 motor cars in the showrooms facing empty streets. Over the top of the General Motors building, I watched a flock of black birds circling in the sky. Hurried on. Suddenly, I caught sight of the hood of a Martian machine standing somewhere in Central Park, gleaming in the late afternoon sun. An insane idea. I, I, I rushed recklessly across Columbus Circle and into the park. I, I climbed a small hill above the pond at 60th Street, and from there I could see, standing in a silent row along the mall, 19 of those great metal titans, their cowls empty, their steel arms hanging listlessly by their sides. I looked in vain for the monsters that inhabit those machines. Suddenly, my eyes were attracted to the immense flock of black birds that hovered directly below me. They circled to the ground. And there before my eyes, stark and silent, lay the Martians with the hungry birds pecking and tearing brown shreds of flesh from their dead bodies. Later, when their bodies were examined in laboratories, it was found that they were killed by the putrefactive and diseased bacteria against which their systems were unprepared. Slain, after all, man's defenses had failed by the humblest thing that God, his wisdom, has put upon this earth. Before the cylinder fell, there was a general persuasion that through all the deep of space... No life existed beyond the petty surface of our minute sphere. 
Now we see further. Dim and wonderful is the vision I've conjured up in my mind of life spreading slowly from this little seedbed of the solar system throughout the inanimate vastnesses of sidereal space, but a remote dream, maybe. Maybe that the destruction of the Martians is only a reprieve to them and not to us. Is the future ordained, perhaps? Ah, strange it now seems to sit in my peaceful study at Princeton, writing down this last chapter of the record, begun at a deserted farm in Grover's Mill. Strange to watch children playing in the streets. Strange to see young people strolling on the green where the new spring grass heals the last black scars of a bruised earth. Strange to watch the sightseers enter the museum where the dissembled parts of a Martian machine are kept on public view. Strange when I recall the time when I first saw it. Bright and clean-cut, hard and silent under the dawn of that last great day. This is Orson Welles, ladies and gentlemen. Out of character to assure you that the War of the Worlds has no further significance than as the holiday offering it was intended to be. The Mercury Theater's own radio version of dressing up in a sheet and jumping out of a bush and saying boo. Starting now, we couldn't soap all your windows and steal all your garden gates by tomorrow night, so we did the best next thing. We annihilated the world before your very ears and utterly destroyed the CBS. You will be relieved, I hope, to learn that we didn't mean it and that both institutions are still open for business. So goodbye, everybody, and remember, please, for the next day or so, the terrible lesson you learned tonight. That grinning, glowing, globular invader of your living room is an inhabitant of the pumpkin patch, and if your doorbell rings and nobody's there, that was no Martian. It's Halloween. <laughs> Tonight, the Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations coast to coast has brought you The War of the World by H.G. Wells, the 17th in its weekly series of dramatic broadcasts featuring Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the air. Next week, we present a dramatization of three famous short stories. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.